This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Minnesota 2nd District Representative Angie Craig. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Minnesota Congresswoman Angie Craig next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. U.S. farmers have endured a number of challenges over the past several years, including lost export markets, global competition, and difficult weather, including both droughts and floods. Congresswoman Angie Craig says farmers in her state's 2nd District need some straight answers from Washington. I think the difficult thing that they're facing at the moment is just clarity with respect to MSP and whether or not there's going to be another round of payments. And I know Secretary Perdue has indicated uh, that there's, you know, he's recommending no, everyone should proceed as no, and then maybe 10% chance. But look, I, you know, I, I think just the mixed messages that my farmers are getting, you know, the reason we have a farm safety net in place in this country and the reason why I wanted to be on the Ag Committee so badly um, is because, you know, the, for the family farmer, that safety net, the farm bill, is predictable. People can make good planting decisions based on that bill. And the challenge we have when we have mixed messages coming from the president uh, and from the secretary of agriculture is that it makes business decisions more difficult. And, you know, I, I spent over 20 years working in business before I ended up in Washington representing family farmers. And, you know, that kind of policymaking, it's not predictable, it's not reliable, and it's really no way to make farmers run their business. So, that's, I think, what is on uh, the mind of our family farmers right now is how, how's that conversation going with the lender as they're looking to get soybeans and corn in the ground in my district? How's the lender taking into account the idea of whether there's going to be uh, another round of, of payments or not? I think it's been said, and some farmers have testified most recently in Washington, that had it not been for the MFP, their financial situation would have looked much different. So we've suggested that with the black swan event of African swine fever and also the black swan of the uh, trade disagreement between the U.S. and China, that the farm bill and its programs weren't adequate to protect farmers. So the question in is the year ahead, as you brought before the secretary, how much of this uh, should farmers know now? And if they knew that now, would that affect planning decisions for this 20 crop? What I've discovered with my farmers in my district is, you know, they're, they're willing to put up with a lot. Uh, they're, you know, willing to uh, support the administration when they take on China because, you know, frankly, I think we, we needed to take on China and the intellectual property theft and some of the other things that uh, were happening. But, you know, just just tell me what the rules of the road are and I'll make 
my own decisions based on that. And that's part of the problem right now is we've got a challenge with clarity of information. And, you know, the truth is the phase one deal with China You know, what we're hearing is that negotiators can't get back in a room together, of course, because now we're in a global pandemic uh, to finalize that agreement. What we're hearing is that there are products sitting at ports that can't be received. And so, you know, you add on top of a difficult situation already, uh, you know, additional uh, factors that are out of the control of the American farmer. And, you know, we may need to come back and do something else. You know, I was part of the freshman group on the Ag Committee last year that warned Democrats if anybody moves to try to delay the MFP payments, that I wasn't going to tolerate it. The chairman of the Ag Committee, Colin Peterson, he wasn't going to tolerate it. And so we certainly need to have farm policy that farmers understand what the rules of the road are, and then sometimes things happen. And with the trade wars, it happened. MFP payments were made, and we may have to go back and take a look at our options related to the coronavirus situation as well. Looking over your shoulder and looking ahead at the same time, was it proper for the administration to step in with their own program of MFP? Well, look, I, you know, I go back to the question of, you know, was it proper to start a trade war with China? Um, you know, my own personal view of dealing with China for 20 years in business is that there may have been other ways to achieve that without putting the majority of the cost on the backs of American farmers. You know, I want to tell you why this is so important to me. I mean, I, I get trade. I spent over 20 years working in two international businesses who relied on global markets. Our producers have spent years building many of these global markets. And at the end of the day, I grew up the granddaughter of a farm foreman whose farmer lost uh, the farm in the 1980s farm crisis. And so my grandfather lost his job. So I, I get trade is important, and I get that we have to make sure that we maintain a quality of life for American farmers. So, look, the MFP payments were absolutely critical and necessary last year. But at the end of the day, farmers need a consistent farm safety net that will hold up in trade wars and pandemics. And clearly, we just we don't have that right now. Clearly, when you're trying to write policy, you can't write it for the day. You have to look at those situations that are ahead. As soon as you finish one farm bill, you start thinking about writing another farm bill. With the rescue that has come for producers, some have wondered, is this something that's going to make it more difficult to get a new farm bill to maintain the safety net and certainly crop insurance? Well, I sure hope not. You know, and I hope Colin Peterson is around to help write the next farm bill because, you know, he's forgotten more about ag than I know. It may make it more contentious to write the next farm bill. But on the other hand, you have to contemplate the unexpected things. You know, one of the things that I led this year, along with Congressman Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, was the FEED Act, which, of course, was the FEED Emergency Enhancement During Disasters Act. We put it in place because we saw so much flooding going on in each of our communities as we got uh, close to the planting season last year. And I, you know, it, it, it gave the secretary the emergency action to be able to give farmers and ranchers that flexibility to alleviate those feed concerns. And it also had the knock-on effect of getting a lot of cover crops in the ground and folks still had access to their crop insurance as a result. Well, that is a lever that we could 
put back into the next farm bill to make sure that we know the secretary has that authority moving forward. But, you know, taxpayers are right when they ask questions about MSP. I mean, uh, politicians need to tell the story of Title I and crop insurance to protect the farm safety net. But at the end of the day, I've got 4,400 family farmers in my district, and, and you're right, a, a number of them would have gone under if uh, not for the MSP payments last year. Do you have other concerns? I have to tell you, I, you know, I, I probably had my most frustrated moment last week when the Tenth Circuit ruling came down, and the administration had a moment where they just could have looked at big oil and said, well, the Tenth Circuit ruled. Uh, we, you know, we, we've been issuing these big oil waivers. They have not been appropriate. The EPA has overstepped its authority in doing so. You know, certainly I think Sonny Perdue has been encouraging the administration to stop issuing these big oil waivers. But instead of doing that, they flip-flop. You know, it's a bait and switch by the administration all over again. And, you know, I've been saying all along the EPA is acting uh, beyond its authority. But it looks like with one phone call, one phone call by Senator Ted Cruz representing Big Oil to the president, he decided that he's going to follow the counsel of Senator Cruz rather than the EPA or the DOJ. Look, I just get frustrated by the inconsistencies. You know, we know that there are millions of gallons of ethanol that should be produced right now. Uh, in order to meet our commitments under the renewable fuel standards that, that just aren't. You know, at some point, you have to make a decision. The largest employer in my congressional district in southeastern Minnesota, the largest employer in my district is an oil refinery. At some point, you have to make a decision. Am I with big oil or am I with family farmers? And for me, I've made that decision. That's why I continue to support ethanol. That's why I continue to support biofuels uh, in general. And, you know, that's where I think the Secretary of Agriculture, I wish somehow he had more influence over the EPA and over the president when it comes to making these decisions. I'm working on a number of different initiatives that will help with ethanol production and biofuels. I'm working with the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis to try to include the aspects of biofuels in it, and we've got to make sure that we've got the blending infrastructure in surface transportation. Uh, That's something else that we're set to reauthorize here this year. I'm also on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. We've got to make sure that that's in the transportation package. So, you know, you asked me a short question about am I, you know, what's my opinion? Well, my opinion is, you know, Secretary Perdue has an awfully hard job. Uh, and I don't envy him, but there comes a moment when, you know, as a lawmaker and, and as the administration, you have to make a choice. You, you can't keep promising everything to everybody. And uh, I've chosen to be a fan of biofuels, and I've chosen to uh, be uh, supportive of my corn growers, and that means I'm supporting energy sources from a number of different uh, different forms. This is an unfair question for a freshman member of Congress, but I'm going to bring it anyway because we're in a we're in an open discussion. Do you think Democratic leadership would hold a different view of the challenge or at least the the contest between big oil and renewable fuel? 
do I think Democratic leadership would hold a different view? Well, look, you know, the deal I made with my district is I'm going to work with the administration and I'm going to support the administration when I think it's right for my district and for my farmers. And when I don't think it is, uh, I'll oppose them. I'll stand up to the president. But I've also made the commitment to stand up to Democratic leadership when I need to. And uh, I've done that uh, a number of times. I've stood up to my own party. Um, you know, I'm an all-of-the-above energy Democrat. I think that a transition to clean energy is, is certainly appropriate. And I think, you know, ethanol, biofuels, I think it's an important component of that. It, it's so interesting because when you're in a caucus that really does run the gamut. I know we get characterized as uh, the party of the left, uh, it's liberal, it's, you know, in, in districts like mine, which frankly have almost 50% of my constituents identify as independent, you know, they're neither Democrats or Republicans. In a district like mine, if you don't just focus on the policy and try not to get too caught up in the politics of your own party, or in the politics of obstruction for the other party, you know, you're not going to represent a district like this very long. And so that's that's what I've tried to do. You know, I've got a great mentor in Colin Peterson because, you know, he, he tells Democrats to take a hike quite often, which is um, a, great, a great mentor example uh, from a policy perspective. But at the end of the day, he also can go and say, look, you know, we, we, we got to get this done. And to get this done, we're not going to please everybody. And I am very cognizant that I'm not going to please everybody with each of my decisions. Illinois Congressman John Shimkus is a member of the GOP, but he's been involved in this fuel debate for some time. And he said the really bigger issue out of this is that renewable fuel and big oil should be able to get along. But the question ahead is, is the country going to stay with liquid fuel or is it going to move for some other source of energy for transportation that there should be a time that, that liquid could come together? Well, I, I think I think John may be right about that. You know that 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 you know if you agree that there's a role for you know renewable fuels, um, that you know w- that liquid fuels ought to figure out how they work together. And you know the transition from liquid fuel, it's going to take a long time. I mean, even for the most progressive Democrat who especially cares about the inequities, uh, folks who are trying to make their way and earn a good living and a, li- a good life, but they, you know, haven't, uh, you know, working a minimum wage job today at 725, not everybody's going to be able to afford an electric car anytime soon. So I think we've got to be prepared for a longer transition toward this than, than perhaps some people would like to. And, you know, uh, Biofuels are just a great off-ramp, and that's what I've tried uh, to communicate to my caucus. It's why, you know, we uh, have been communicating that with the Select Committee on Climate Crisis. They're going to issue their report in a few weeks, and we've really been pushing to make sure that um, biofuels are part of the solution there. You know, ethanol releases, um, um, you know, lower emissions to get, after the carbon emissions. And, you know, if we're talking about sequestration of carbon, if we're talking about all of these things, my view of the world is that American farmers, Minnesota farmers, have got to be part of the solution. And if we, I mean, there is there is no one 
who understands how important it is to take care of the land than the American farmer. And if we don't make them part of the solution, we're not going to solve the crisis in this country of extreme weather and uh, the climate changing. So, you know, no one's got their head in the sand, but I think, you know, we have to make sure that biofuels are the off-ramp and that ethanol is considered, you know, an important part of that mix to reduce carbon emissions in this country. There's a popular word called sustainability, and the question as you bring up that I'd like to offer for you here, do you see in future farm programs how sustainable farm practices might find their way into the policy, and could that lead to someday farmers being paid for sequestering carbon? Well, I, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that you raise that because, you know, back in this last um, year when we had, um, you know, so much rain, um, when Dusty and I introduced that bill that related to, um, you know, allowing farmers to, you know, plant their cover crops, prevent plant, uh, and still be eligible for crop insurance. I mean, in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind, that's exactly what I was thinking about is how can we incentivize cover crops across the country um, to, you know, improve soil health, prevent erosion, and most importantly, sequester carbon. So, again, that just feeds right back into why farmers are part of the solution. The best way to sequester carbon is to get cover crops in the ground. And so I am particularly interested in the conservation programs in the Farm Bill incredibly important to me, and I think, um, you know, sustainable farm practices and in future farm bills, I do think that we need to pay particular attention to how we incentivize farmers. Um, you know, I, I was in another meeting this morning where we were talking about the CRP program and how important uh, that's been over the years, and, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, any farmer who's got a good idea about how we can incentivize uh, farmers to make sure that we're building sustainable farm practices. Uh, my team and I are certainly open to it. How important is an infrastructure bill to your district, your state, or the nation? Oh. <laughs> I tell you what, it's just stunning uh, how important the infrastructure improvements are. I I've have the pleasure of representing a district with these uh, beautiful river towns, the Minnesota River, the Mississippi River, and so making sure that, you know, we can get those commodities to CHS and to Cargill, uh, you know, at the Port of Savage in my district is critical, and we found out a few weeks ago that the Port of Savage and dredging had somehow fall, fallen off the list of priorities in the budget, and that it had been moved over to the Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund. Of course, it's, you know, competing with huge projects at that point, and we're talking about, you know, um, millions and millions of dollars of economic output to the state of Minnesota, and so... You know, not only is it a river issue, it's a it's a trucking issue, and it's critical to my district for the health uh, of the ag economy. The Agriculture Committee is noted for being bipartisan, but it was nutrition uh, and the debate over nutrition programs that turned terribly partisan. Now that you see the administration uh, bringing in some changes to the nutrition program, what are your thoughts? 
Well, you know, that got litigated before I got here, right? I mean, it got litigated in the farm bill. The fact that the administration wants to relitigate it is, you know, that's the real challenge here. So, you know, I opposed the rollbacks. And again, I just feel like if, you, you know, we they had the fight in the last Congress. It got litigated. Um, you know, the bill got passed. And to come back and have to relitigate all these things, uh, you know, is to me incredibly irresponsible. Why the hell go through the process of passing a farm bill if you're going to come back and relitigate it? I mean, it's just astounding to me how many working families in this country are relying on the SNAP program. And so, look, the categorical eligibility, it kicks working families off the aid they need to provide for their families. And I get it. You want uh, flexibility in school lunch standards, but when sometimes this is the only meal that children are getting uh, in a day, it does need to be held to the highest possible standard. Congresswoman, we want to thank you very much in the midst of all of the issues that you're facing in a busy schedule for spending time with us here on Open Mic and is Open Mic, and you have the last word today. Well, my last word is this. Uh, there's no one who has uh, been asked to take on more on behalf of uh, this country than American farmers. I know my Minnesota farmers certainly have. And um, look, uh, one of the things that I'm most concerned about uh, is the uh, mental health stress on this nation's farmers. So my my last word here today um, is, you know, if if, if you're suffering, uh, I know things are tough right now. Please reach out and get help. In Minnesota, we've got a couple of crisis folks dedicated to our state's farmers, but. Uh, you know, my, my grandfather had trouble asking for help. And I just want to say as the granddaughter of a farmer, of a family who's seen what it looks like, ask for help when you need it. We're, we, we need to be there for each other. Our thanks to Minnesota 2nd District Representative Angie Craig, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.